Alan's going to start. Come on, Alan. Everybody give it up for Alan. Um, before we turn him loose, uh, Jesus says this really weird thing in the Gospels. He says, if you receive a righteous man as a righteous man, you'll receive a righteous man's reward. He says, but if you see, receive a prophet as a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. And it's this really strange thing. Jesus is basically saying, in the manner that you receive somebody, is, it determines what you're able to get from them. The honor that you give determines what you can receive. So this morning, as you know, we bring these guys up, we really, they're trusted friends of our house. And I just want you to give them your whole heart. Don't make them work for the first 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Because they carry a reward. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow. Look at you. You're all beautiful. You really are. It's just like we're at the, uh, what was it called? What was it? What did we eat at this morning? The Huddle House. That was my first experience of the Huddle House. And Yeah. <laughs> I was like, does the Surgeon's General know that they're serving food like this? Like, legally? Like, forget banning cigarettes. Let's ban one side of this menu. It's unbelievable. I'll have a heart attack and a stroke to go, please. (laughs) Unbelievable. But we had uh, a great time. We've had a wonderful time being here. You guys have just got a great church and great pastors and... Uh, we've really, really, really enjoyed it. And honestly, no, no word of a lie. I've been, if you see me wandering around taking photographs, it's because we're going home to rip off everything that you have done exceptionally well in our own church. <laughs> Next time you come to Grace Center, we're staining our stage black. We're, <laughs> everything that you've done is just with excellence. And it, you know, it really, really blesses us to see that. Well, um, you're going to hear from my wife in a second. I'm her warm-up act this morning. So you have a choice of um, prophetic dance. I've been practicing a, move, a new move. Oh, Lord, have you seen my hamster? And uh, it's going to be wonderful. If you like that, I'll get changed into Lycra in a second. Um, but we, we brought some friends with us um, from, uh, we're from Nashville, Tennessee. You can probably tell from my accent that gave that away. But we're from Nashville, Tennessee. And AJ and I have the great privilege of being staff on staff at a church there called Grace Center. We love it dearly. Our uh, pastors, Jeff and Becky, are just two of the most awesome people in the world. And uh, we, we have a school of ministry there, and we brought a bunch of our students with us and some of our staff. And so, guys, do you want to come up this morning, staff and students, and come and uh, give them a round of applause, please? We, we do have male members of staff and male students. Um, but uh, your staff said only bring good-looking girls, so I don't know what that's about. So, uh, single good-looking girls. Okay, no, that's not true for all of them. But gentlemen, if you're... Anyway, let's not go there. Uh, that's going to get me into lots of trouble on the bus ride home. <laughs> um, one of the things we love to do wherever we go, really, is just try and represent the heart of Jesus. You know, uh, we our junior high and senior high teams go out on the streets... Um, most weeks and just uh, accost people and say, do you need like a miracle? And so they pray for healing and they prophesy over people wherever they go. And one of my favorite stories was they went to one of our local malls. And so you've got 11 and 12 year olds going up to people and saying, hey, hi, you know, I noticed you have a cane or I noticed you're wearing a hearing aid. Would we be able to pray for you? And so on this one particular occasion, they walk up and they said to this lady, you know, hi, and who's going to refuse prayer from an 11 year old? So they go up and they say to this lady, hey, would we be able to pray for you? And the lady's like, that's lovely. And so they said, well, okay, just hold out your hands and, and we'll pray for you. So this woman's standing in the middle of the food court with her hands held out. And the kids just start saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this woman? And the next thing we know, the woman has fallen down on the ground. <laughs> okay? 
So everybody in the mall is like, she had a, like a stroke, she collapsed, should we call 911? And a security guard comes over, and so Aaron, the pastor, jumps in thinking, oh, we're going to get kicked out. And so the security guard goes, is everything okay? And Aaron says, yes, sir, we're just praying for this lady, and she's just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the love of God. And the security guy says, I only have one question. Are you guys from Grace Center? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, okay, well, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> so anyway, the, we've got these guys here. They're from our school. And so I asked them during worship if they would just ask the Lord for uh, any words of knowledge or any uh, prophetic words of encouragement for people this morning. And so, uh, Michelle, why don't you go, why don't you go first? Who, who do you have and what do you want to say? Um, the, the girl in the white jacket back here. Um, yeah. What's your name? You can stand up. <laughs> Alicia, um, I just felt God's everlasting love for you. I feel like he really just wants you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. And it's not something that's distant or big or far away. It's with such intention and with such affection and kindness. And he was just speaking. um, He was sharing with me some of your inheritance. And it's like his faithful love and his goodness is your inheritance. So you can expect that. You can position your heart and, like, face him and know that that's your inheritance. And I just wanted to encourage you. Um, I felt like shelter was a word that he wanted to, and I was asking him about that, like, to share more. But I um, saw that, like, in a place where you may have felt sheltered in, like, a hindering way, he wants you to know that he's actually your shelter and he's surrounding you with love. And I saw you stepping into new freedom with that. So not in a place of sheltered being, like, hidden away, but actually because he covers you, because he surrounds you with his love. I saw you, like, almost, like, taking flight. And I asked him where you're going, and he just started talking to me about adventure and how that's a gift. And you have a heart and a specific deposit within you that is for adventure and a lot of that is like the unknown right and so it's like you actually have the capacity to step into circumstances that are unfamiliar and unknown with like a childlikeness and a spirit of adventure that i saw him using for you in mighty ways very good thank you so much um caitlin who do you have chris um if you want to stand i guess we're making people stand but um yeah, I uh, was asking, and I just saw these pictures of huge eyes, like giant eyes, and I just hear God saying, he's just going to like start blowing um, up your perception, and it's just going to start being this these new eyes that are just so wide. It's like there's so much, like you, you just your eyes have to become bigger to, to be able to capture everything that you're going to start seeing, and I think that's speaking into um, your dreams and the visions that you're going to start having in um, just everyday life, and so I also was hearing just, I saw your hands out, and they're like strings attached to heaven, and um, it was just like, I just kept seeing like um, you would move a finger and like things would drop down from the strings and it would be exactly what you needed. Um, and I saw um, a farmer and just in speaking into like a slowness and a pace of just your walk that um, that it's starting to come into this season of the rains and that it's going to start this rain is like the key time and I just kept hearing him say to store up your water and to just have that um, because it's going to be necessary um, for I don't know if season of dryness or just to keep like a steady pace of like what you're growing and I think that was speaking into just um the life and relationships around you that there's there's a lot of growth coming and happening right now with your relationships and um 
I just I just saw flowering and new new life. So, Cammy, yeah. <laughs> stand up. Um. So when I was um, thinking about you in worship this morning, the Lord said that you're like Silas. And to me, that means two different things. Um, the name Silas means of the forest. And so I just saw this whole scene of almost like Robin Hood, of you like having this life in the forest and the, the canopy of the leaves that cover you are very protective. You can still see the light coming through, but it's not a burning. Um, it's something that nurtures and takes care of you. So you're always covered and protected. And I just saw the Lord's just tenderness and covering and protecting you. And I also saw you like pillaging the transport of hell as it went by, like things that the enemy has stolen from people. You're just going in without fear and grabbing things back and distributing them to the people that they rightfully belong to. And I just saw joy as your weapon. And that's the other thing that Silas meant when um, the Lord said it, is that in the Bible, Silas, when he was imprisoned, when he was put under oppression, his warfare was worship. And I just feel like you have this warfare of worship gift on you that when you are feeling the oppression of the enemy, that when you rise up and you sing and you look at who God is and you declare his praises, not only do you get free, but the person next to you gets free and all the doors all the way down the hall start shaking and coming unlocked and people get free. And you're going to lead people out of a place of depression into a place of joy by worship. I'm going to transfer to this side of the room. Um, what's your name right here? You? Yes. Uh, well, no, sorry. I can do both of you, but actually you. Yeah. Emily, can you stand up? Um, so I was in, um, worship and I just saw, um, I saw you from across the room and I saw this picture of you, um, on horseback and you were just running through this field, like bareback. And there was no, so there's no saddle, there's no reins. And you were just like, had your hands in the air and your hair was back and you were just free. And I just feel like that speaking of, um, like the horse representing, the father and, and God just running you through. And the fact that you don't have reins and you don't have a saddle, there's like no control and there's nothing separating you. And it's like, when you ride a horse, you have to like, especially that fast, like you have to have that rhythm and like, you're just synced in with the father. And I feel like that's what he was trying to draw you into is just this freedom and this, um, intimacy and this just, um, sinking with his heart and that, um, he just, he just wants to pull you into that. Kendall, um, hi again. Um, <laughs> um, do you, I see you have a baby. Don't feel like standing. Um, I saw this picture of you standing with the Lord in this incredible temple. And I saw this kind of like concerned look on your face and you were pointing to the pillars around you and you were pointing out the cracks and you kind of were a little bit concerned about it. And I saw it being like your heart and you just being so passionate about pursuing inner healing in your heart and strengthening your foundation. And I saw the Lord coming in and him filling all the cracks in him, um, writing on those cracks and just writing in your identity. And I saw him taking you into this season where he's going to be really, really strengthening your foundation because there's going to be a season coming of incredible increase because he's going to be building on that foundation. And I saw, just like it's a temple, I saw him taking you into learning more and more about worship and taking you into the Psalms and um, speaking to you and about kind of how David saw the Lord and his, how he was just like so passionate about God in a season and in a time where it was kind of almost 
he was just kind of outrageous in his love of God and how he was just so unashamed of how he passionately pursued him. And he actually transformed the culture around him. And I saw you transforming culture and just creating this atmosphere of constantly worshiping God in this kind of like safety and connection with him. Is there a Sheila? Anybody named Sheila here? Okay, we'll just keep going then. My second thing that I thought of was, what's your name? Deanna? Stand up. Deanna, when I was standing here, I just just kept feeling this, like, freedom and childlikeness all over you. Kind of reminded me of somebody that I know really well that just has this gift of... um, of, yeah, of still, of really connecting with the fun and the levity of life. And I feel like the Lord, um, just wanted to encourage you in that. And, um, and that it, that if there's anything that has encumbered you or has kind of been a weight, um, that, that he is lifting that off. And that as you continue to walk in that freedom and just kind of walk out, um, I just see beautiful colors and all of these kind of, even as I remembered as Alan looked up at the lights yesterday, he was like, oh, they're so pretty. It was like that, all of that color that's just kind of coming out and touching people um, that were kind of um, in kind of a black and white stage of life where it was just not a whole lot of love and fun and just kind of bringing fun back into um, the church and out into the world. Thank you. Where, where's the, there you are. There's our drummer. So could you stand up? What's, what's your name? Matt. I should have known it was Matt. Yeah. So Matt, I have a prophetic word for you. And I wanted to encourage you. I felt like the Lord said, tell Matt this. I, I sense for the last several years you have just been dutiful in everything that you've been given to do. And you've been just, you know, working hard, minding your own business, head down. And just, you know, fulfilling the mandates of your calling. And, but what you don't realize is in a, pardon the phrase, in a parallel universe parallel to you just going around your normal day in the spirit, God has been preparing an unimaginable inheritance for you that very shortly you're about to come into. And without you doing anything, it's completely unrelated to your performance of work, completely unrelated to the field of work, that you are going to find a rapid shift and acceleration in your identity, in your inheritance, and what you do with the rest of your life. And so I wanted to encourage you that. Are you married? You are? Okay. Oh, there's your wife. Stand up so we can prophesy over both. <laughs> and so I felt like God was really going to shift some stuff for you. And if you have, and this is no, this is, let me say it and then apologize for it. Um, you know, in every area of your life where you have felt you guys are in the wrong time or in the wrong place or in the wrong season or, you know, and it's got nothing to do with the place, the time or the season. It just feels like, I just doesn't. All of that's going to come into clarity, and all that's going to come into focus. And there's just huge leadership on you, and huge responsibility. And because of your faithfulness in the small things, your faithfulness in the mundane things, your faithfulness in the things that no one sees, and you have been perfect in who you are when no one's looking. You're about to see a tremendous favor and tremendous honor come your way. All right. So bless you guys. We. Um, we, I, I don't normally do this, but one of my favorite things to talk about in church is sex, okay? Uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, period, is sex, okay? <laughs> but have you noticed that we don't talk about that a lot in church? I, I would imagine with Adam as your pastor, you probably talk about it more than most, most churches. 
But you know, the first time really, actually, here's a good connection for all of us. The first time I ever heard anybody teach on sex was Jack Deere. And uh, anyway, the second time I ever heard anybody teach on sex was when I taught on sex. And so um, we, I just think because whatever you don't talk about, whatever stays in the dark, just didn't. Anyway, let me just say, we've got some resources at the back if you'd like. But in particular, the reason I'm highlighting this is there's a, there's a box out there on sex that I think pretty much covers the full gamut of everything from dating all the way through to sex, everything in between, to masturbation, to same-sex attraction, to sexual addiction, to getting free of it, to generational iniquity, to deliverance prayers, all that sort of stuff. And it's not that I'm going, wow, there's a bunch of perverts in this room. They really need that result. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, actually, our, you know, in our lives, in our church, we actually need to recover the glory of sex, right? And actually need to get away with the counterfeits that we have. Um, we'll also have some information at the back there about the school. If any of you would like to uh, come to our school, we'd love to, have, uh, live, love to have you come visit with us. So could you put your hands together and give a warm round of applause to the hottest member of staff at Gray Center. It's Mrs. A.J. Jones. You want to come around this way? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Are we well? I love the mid-morning coffee break. I, uh, yeah, we're totally stealing that. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> we've, we're writing down all kinds of stuff like the, you know, we, uh, we help pastor something called Emanator. We pastor something called Emanate, which is a young adult group. And, um, we have like snacks and stuff that we serve at the back. And so when worship breaks, we just tell people, Hey, grab a snack and sit down. But it feels like that transition takes forever. And so when we saw the dance music up with the timer, we're like, we're totally going to do that. And um, see if that that helps us at all. But um, we have absolutely loved being here with you this weekend. And those of you that we've gotten to spend some time talking to and hanging out with, it's been really, really, really lovely. Um, It really feels like home here, which for me is pretty weird. So um, thank you. Um, We've spent the weekend sort of looking at different Uh, perceptions about God and strongholds about God that would keep us from actually knowing who he is and what he thinks about us and uh, how he feels about us and how it's safe to feel about him and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's, I was going to say it's been good fun, but it's kind of been the kind of fun that's work, but fun. Does that make sense? So it's, I don't think it's ever fun looking at your issues. I always think it's a great idea um, when God brings them up to deal with them so that when they, they don't start, okay. Have you noticed that if God brings something up in your life and you don't actually deal with it at the moment, that somehow sneakily that thing comes back up again and it may be next week and it may be next month, but it's going to keep coming up until you finally deal with it. So you can get over that and get the revelation that God has for you. And that's God's mercy. But sometimes it feels a little frustrating, doesn't it? Cause it's just like this again. And so my thing is like, if I have that, this again response, I'm like, oh, that's because I didn't actually deal with it the last time. So it's not God being frustrating. It's me needing to just get on board. Does that make sense? So if some stuff comes up this morning that you're like, this again, maybe today's your day 
um, to give that thing to God and just say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with that? Um, I shared a lot of my testimony on the Friday night. And again, um, Adam had said it will end up up online. So um, I'm going to do a really brief recap this morning. And if you're interested in hearing the actual long version, uh, you can do that by, by listening to Friday night. But basically, um, I am from Toronto, Canada. I was born there. And I'm the youngest of four children. And I grew up in an abusive home. You understand when I say abusive home, I don't mean the actual house was abusive. Uh, only the people therein. Um, so, uh, both of my parents were alcoholics and, um, both of them were physically abusive. Um, my, uh, it, we were just lived in a really violent house. Like my, um, brother that is a year older than I am, uh, broke my arm and broke a couple of fingers and my other brother, I mean, we, it, we were, we were violent. Everybody in the house was violent. And when you grow up in that kind of house, you think that that's normal until you go to somebody else's house for your first sleepover and there was no yelling during the night or things being thrown or whatever. And you think, wow, weird, you know, they have a weirdly quiet house. And then once you go for enough sleepovers, you realize, I think I'd like a weirdly quiet house. And I think maybe my house is the one that's a little bit different. Um, I, because of the violence in our house and, uh, just the yelling and all of the stuff that went along with that. Um, I tried to kill myself the first time when I was seven and tried again when I was 13. Um, I didn't succeed either time. And so I gave that up for Lent. Um, the, the only reason I highlight that is to give you an idea of just how desperate I was as a child. Um, in my heart, I knew exactly what I was trying to do. And all I cared about was getting out. Um, around the time that I was 13, I finally told somebody what was happening in our house and about the abuse. And that was my grandmother. And my grandmother, um, when I told her, went into my mom and said, she's not coming home with you, Patty, uh, to my mom, we're going to keep her here and you go home and sort out your marriage. And so that began the proceedings of my parents getting divorced. Uh, it was the first time somebody stuck up for me. And, um, anyway, my parents, uh, got divorced and, uh, or got separated. And the last time that I saw my dad, um, right before moving in with my mom, we had had a very, um, painful conversation. The whole thing had gone down like it was my fault. Um, you know, of course it's the 13 year old's fault. And so they also had to sell a very large house in the recession and lost a whole bunch of money. And that was my fault too, apparently. And so, um, my last conversation with my dad, I wasn't ever supposed to have to see him again, but he was sitting in the house when I walked in. And I remember sort of stopping dead in my tracks. And he looked at me and he said, how can you do this to me? I love you. And I said, well, you need to know, you know, I said, you have a funny way of showing it and you need to know that I hate you and I hope you die. And I left. It would be safe to say I had a fair amount of anger issues. Uh, just a few. Um, over the next year and a half, my dad sent a whole bunch of presents. I would smash them up and mail them back. He sent flowers twice. Um, the first time I waited for them to die and then mailed them back the second time. That just took too, too long. So I cut them up and poured Drano over them, which has a really interesting effect and sent them back. I just wanted my dad to get the idea. He was never getting back in my life. When I was about 15, I got saved. Um, and I got saved with this, at this Baptist retreat center. And it, for me, 
it was the first time in my life that I ever thought somebody loves me. I mean, I remember sitting there and this guy talking about the love of God. And I just started crying with all these happy people that were waiting to go outside and go skiing, you know. And I just started crying because I remember thinking, if what he's saying is true, then somebody loves me. And um, the poor guy, I, uh, I couldn't wait for him to finish speaking because he was taking too long. And so I pushed past all the shiny, happy Christians in my row and came up to the front and just started weeping at the front until he had to stop speaking and lead me to the Lord. Because I just, I didn't know what to do. I was like, if, if what you're saying is true, if God loves me, then let's do this. Let's sign on the line. They get it. They knew all the songs. I, I'm the one here that you're talking to. And um, I'd love to say that my life completely changed at that moment. I mean, certainly my eternal destination did. Um, and I started going to church on Sundays and wearing a skirt. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would listen to the pastor on Sunday mornings and I try and, uh, do what he said. And, you know, with varying success, um, ratings there. Um, but I still swore like a trucker and, uh, I didn't tell anybody at school that I was a Christian because I wanted to stay cool. And, um, (laughs) although I'm not sure how cool any of us were, we were in art school. So we ran around in leotards, but let's not talk about that. And, uh, um, but I, I, I'm, I didn't know anything about inner healing. I didn't know anything about dealing with my issues. I didn't know really anything about anything. And, and even like when I came into church, it seemed like you should already know how to pray. Nobody was actually teaching us how to do that either. You know, it would just be like, let's stand and pray. And I'd be like, cool. What's praying, you know? And so I would just stand and wait. And then I'd sit, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, um, I wasn't getting tools, um, sorted out there. Um, a couple of months after that, there was a whole restoration thing that happened with my dad. Again, if you want to hear it, it's on the tape. Um, but basically I ended up giving my dad one more chance. And, um, what that started for me was four of some of the best years of my life where God completely restored our relationship. Um, we didn't actually have a relationship before, so anything would have been a restoration, but this was beyond what I could have imagined. Uh, my dad literally became like my best friend and, uh, my best friend in high school called my dad, my other best friend, because she knew if I was canceling with her, I was going out with dad. And, um, we did all kinds of crazy stuff together. Um, I remember, uh, this one time and I'll, I'll tell a different story cause I don't want to bore those people that already heard my, um, New York city story. Uh, so this other time he came into my room and, um, my dad was pretty intense. Like he was pretty intense about most things. And sometimes he'd come in my room and he'd do a white glove test. Not joking. He'd have a white glove and he'd run it over the top of my furniture to see if I'd cleaned. I'd be like, cool. It's white glove day. Anyway, I remember he came in early that morning and I thought, oh, like, can't I at least just wait until I wake up before we do the white glove thing in my room? And, um, he, anyway, so he came in and I was like, Hey, and he's like, okay, get up. We've got to go. And I was like, where are we going? And he said, all right, we're going to the Eaton center, which is this mall in downtown Toronto. And he said, we're going to go for when it opens, which was at 10 AM. And I was like, why? You know? And he said, cause we're going to see how many movies we can see before it closes. And I was like, Oh, okay. 
So, I mean, of course he was paying. I didn't mind. So, um, we, uh, we went down for 10 AM and he figured out the timing of everything. So we had the smallest amount of gaps between movies and we stayed until 2 AM the next morning. I can't remember how many movies we saw. I don't think I ate popcorn for like three years, but, um, he, we just do all kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember we had, um, my dad had a cell phone when they looked roughly the size of a SATCOM unit. Do you know what I'm talking about? It looked like a briefcase with a brick and this cord. And we thought it was so cool. And so I remember one time walking through the mall and he's carrying the briefcase and I've got the brick. And I was like, this is, I mean, this is eighties, you know, but this is so cool. Look at us with this cell phone. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we, we had, uh, we had a lot of fun. And then, um, when I was 19, my father killed himself and I was devastated I had been uh, saved for four years at that point. And to be honest with you, I still didn't know how to pray. Um, I didn't know where to read in the Bible to make me feel any better. I didn't know how to hear God's voice. I hadn't dealt with any of my issues and there were plenty of them. And I went downhill really, really, really fast. Um, Because I had some um, unresolved eating disorders and stuff, I ended up getting down to about 103 pounds, which at my height is a bad idea. And, um, I stopped sleeping completely. I ended up, um, having to clean up his suicide because we couldn't pay anybody to do it. And I was the youngest, but I had to identify him in the morgue because my family was falling apart. And my mom said, you're the strongest one, so you must do it. And I was like, okay, this is not going to be good. And I planned the funeral and did all that stuff. And once that was over, I started planning my own demise. And this time I was going to make sure it worked because I was like, I'm done here, folks. I've had enough trauma. Thank you. And, um, I remember writing letters cause I was mad at my dad cause he didn't write us a letter. So I wrote letters. I wrote a letter to my cousin who had led me to the Lord and um, to, you know, my family members and it's, I mean, when you're suicidal, you don't think straight. A letter is not going to make anybody feel better, you know? Um, but I just thought that would make them all feel fine. And, um, I remember writing them and I put them in this gold box that I kept everything from my dad in. And I said to my roommate, Hey, if anything ever happens to me, could you just check that box? And she didn't like clue in at all. And, uh, And I remember I went to go and say goodbye to my cousin. And so I get there and, um, my, my cousin isn't there, but my aunt is waiting for me. And she's one of those scary prophetic women before I knew what they were. And, um, she was Baptist, so she didn't know she was prophetic. Um, but she was, (laughs) she was one scary woman. And, um, she, I mean, she was absolutely lovely, but she just knew stuff all the time. And so I, it turns out she had told Jana not to come home yet that she needed to talk to me. And I didn't know that. And so I came into the kitchen. I was like, where's Jana? And I knew I was there to say goodbye, you know, and my aunt Joan said, she's not here yet. Why don't you have a seat? And I said, no, I'll wait in a room. She said, have a seat. And I was like, okay. So I like sat down and I was like, buckle up, you know, and, um, she was peeling potatoes, which she did a lot of cause she had eight children. And so she was, um, standing at this, at the kitchen table and she was peeling these potatoes 
And she's getting more and more aggravated. And she's not really focusing because there's like no potato left. You know, she's still. And then finally this piece of potato goes, you know, hits off the table and over towards the wall. And I like look at her and she said, when are you going to let God be God? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, when are you going to let him get you through this? I said, I still don't know what you're talking about. She said, I know about your letters. They're in your gold box. She said, God gave me a dream. And she said, I don't want my letter. And I was like, I mean, I was totally freaked out. I was like, you had a dream about what? Because nobody knew, you know, it's just like, no. And um, she said, why won't you let him get you through this? I remember getting angry in an instant and just yelling at her. I don't know how. I don't know how to go through this. And I remember she said, you know what? You get up and you say, you and me, Jesus, the next five minutes, just get me through the next five minutes. And in five minutes, you say it again. And you let him carry you through this. And now we didn't know about inner healing then either. So that was the, the best we could come up with, you know. But that's, I, I was like, I don't think it's going to work. And she said, well, promise me you'll try for three months before you do anything to yourself. And I was like, yeah, I guess it's fine. Three months more isn't going to, you know. Like as if she would have left me off myself at the end of three months. Well, you're right. It didn't work. Have a nice day. You know, but, um, but, so, but I was like, sounds reasonable. Three months. Got it. And, um, I, uh, I mean, my life looked so weird. I was going to university. I wasn't sleeping at all. I would sleep on average about 45 minutes at night. And I, I had something called night terror. So that's a lot of why I didn't sleep. And, um, just was like kind of completely disoriented, still really struggling with the suicidal stuff, got removed from the police or, uh, from a subway station by the police, possibly because I was holding on to a pillar screaming, help me, but it's hard to say. Um, I, you know, part of me was fighting to live and the other part of me was obsessed with what's the best way to make sure that it works this time. And, um, in this wonderful state of being a friend of mine who I went to church every single Sunday throughout this whole season, by the way. And, um, this, we were going to sort of this bigger church and uh, a friend of mine had a couple times said, Hey, I've heard about this new church called the vineyard. And uh, she said, do you want to go? And I was like, that sounds really cheesy. The vineyard, you know? And she's like, and seriously, my main objection was I was convinced there'd be stencils of the vineyards, like of vines along the, it was the eighties. Well, not really. It was early nineties, but you know what I'm talking about. And so my main objection was decoration. Um, but I was like, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And she'd asked a couple of times, well, this one morning she picks me up and it had been a very desperate week. I mean, it had been bad enough that on the Friday I had said to my roommate, I think I need you to stay with me. I think I need you to watch me this weekend. I'm not okay. And, um, she was like, I'd never said that before. So she was like, okay. So she stayed home. My other roommates stayed home and they stayed up with me at night and stuff like that. And, um, so Sandy comes to pick me up on Sunday morning and she starts driving the wrong way on the 401, which is a major highway in Toronto. And at, at places it's 24 lanes across. I mean, it's a massive highway that I'm saying that because you don't do a UE on the 401. Okay. And so she starts driving the wrong way and she was blonde. So I thought I'd help her and mention it. And I, just kidding. And, um, 
So I was like, Sandy, you're going the wrong way. And she said, I'm going to the vineyard. I said, I told you I don't want to go to the vineyard. She said, I don't care. And I was like, you know, okay. And so she said, if you want to, you can get out now. But she didn't slow down. You know, she's going, she's going like, well, 120. So like 70 miles an hour down the highway. I was like, I'll wait. And, um, so I did what any mature adult would do. I didn't talk to her all the way there. Like I totally stonewalled her and just looked at the window. And uh, when we were about five minutes away from the vineyard, she said, all right, listen, I know you're mad. I'm like, do ya? And she said, if you don't like it, we'll never go back. Let's just go this once. And I was like, fine. So I went in prepared not to like it because I had been manipulated you know, so I was going in and I was not going to like it. And I was going to be very clear with Sandy at the end. This was not cool. Okay. And so we go in and it's actually, it was a better room this size, but there's only 60 people at the time that was part of the church. They just moved into a bigger building. And so people were all up here and I sat two rows from the back, way back there. And I remember worship started and, um, there were some people that raised their hands. I hadn't seen that before. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Maybe one day I'll I'll do that. You know, if I'm still here, I don't know, you know, and, um, and, but Jeremy started singing this old vineyard song called father. I want you to hold me. And I remember hearing this horrific noise, like horrific noise. And I'm not joking. It probably took me about 30 seconds to figure out I was making it. I was at the back going catatonic. I mean, I was wailing and I could not make myself stop. There was such a presence of God in the place. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. And I remember my head thinking, stop it, stop it. And I couldn't cap what had now been opened. And so literally people are all like nicely going, Father, I want you to hope me. I want to rest. You know, and seriously, I mean, there's only 60 people there, but probably every single one of them clocked me at least once or twice. Cause I was totally like, at the back. Like I just was, and I didn't know when worship was over because I couldn't hear. And so Sandy pulled me down into my seat and I'm pretty sure. And she's like the shyest woman on the planet. So she's like, this was a bad idea, you know? (laughs) And, uh, so she said, you know, and I'm like, you know, John gets up, uh, John gets up to start speaking and, um, I'm going <laughs> through the, like, I'm, I'm just trying not to scream, you know? And I don't know what he spoke on. Cause again, I, I couldn't hear very well. And, um, but I remember at the end of his, you know, speaking, he stood at the front and he said, you know, there's somebody here that needs to know that daddy loves them. <laughs> I remember the time thinking, how does he know? <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> now we're all like, good guess, John. Could it be the chick at the back? And I remember in my mind thinking, I am not going up there. There is like 60 people watching me, but my body was like, oh, we're going, you know? And so I'm walking up the aisle and the whole time thinking, I don't want to go up there. What are we doing? You know, not like everybody didn't know I was there already, you know? And I walked up and John opened up his arms and I walked into his arms and I cried all over that man for about 40 minutes. I mean, snot, tears, everything. And I, I, again, could not get it together. I remember he was holding me up with one arm and he's trying to like do the, 
uh, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face, you know, and release everybody while I'm like, you know, crying on this person I don't know. And I had honestly no idea what was happening. I was just like, this is out of control. Maybe I'm actually finally losing it, you know? And, um, at the end of the service, he introduced me to Jeremy Sinet, who was the worship leader and another man named Ian Ross. And, um, between those three men for the next year and a half, one of them met with me every single Sunday and was a dad to me. I know that's why I survived. I'd love to be able to say that from that Sunday on, I never struggled with suicide again. I never struggled with eating disorders and whatever. That that wasn't the case for me, but God started to slowly love me back to life. Um, a couple of months after that, I was in a Sunday night meeting and there was a prophetic guy there. I didn't know that prophets still existed, so I mocked him because I felt that's what you should do. Um, and so when he came in, I was like, Hey, Sandy, check out buddy. He's dressed eighties. And, um, cause he had like one of those black leather jackets with a thousand silver zippers and they were kind of back in now. Um, and like tight jeans and a long red mullet. And I was like, who are his friends? And, um, so he came in and, uh, Sandy said, Oh, that's Mark DuPont. He's a prophet. And I was like, sure he is prophesy. And I'm totally like being obnoxious. And cause there was a few issues that still needed to be dealt with. Um, and so, uh, he comes up and he starts, you know, when he was speaking, he's speaking and he's pacing. And he has a very deep voice and he's pacing back and forth. And I'm sitting like over here with Sandy and he knows Sandy. And so he goes, you know, comes this way and he stops. And I was like, ah! you know, like, cause he's looking at me and he goes, Sandy, who's that girl sitting next to you? And I'm thinking some prophet doesn't even know my name, you know? And, um, Sandy said, that's AJ. And he says, AJ, stand up. And I stood up and he said, AJ, your father's dead and he's not coming back. So he started. I've never heard him ever give a word like that since. And I've known him for over 20 years now. Um, but what nobody else there knew, and I don't recommend starting a prophecy that way. <laughs> can I just say, I was completely hallucinating at this point. I had convinced myself that even though I had cleaned up the blood and I had, you know, I had held his hand in the morgue. I knew he was dead. I had convinced myself, no, he's away on a trip. He's coming back. I was now starting to see him because I, um, wasn't sleeping either. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on there. So that week I had thought I saw him in a mall. I dropped everything, my purse, everything started running through the mall going, daddy, wait, wait. And when I got to the department store and couldn't find him, I just dropped to the floor and started bawling. I was not in a good place. And he started by saying, your father's dead and he's not coming back. And I remember just holding onto the chair and he said, the Lord's been watching your life since you were a child. And he went, he walked through my life. He said, when you're seven, you tried to kill yourself. When you're 13, you tried to kill yourself. And he went through all this stuff. And he said, I see your letters. I see them in a gold box. And and, Cause I had not thrown them out yet. And, um, and again, nobody knew about them. And he said, the Lord says to you this morning, if you don't want your life, why don't you give it to him and see what he can do with it? And then he went on to say, I see you traveling the world. I see you speaking of groups of people and bringing healing where you go. And I remember thinking, dude, you've missed it. You know, I am such a mess. I can't brush my teeth without crying. You know, I was literally the girl at church who people would walk around and not make eye contact with in case, you know, cause if they did, I'd be like, 
you know, <laughs> you, know I'm, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That was me. And I, I remember thinking, wow, you're so off prophetically. You're good on the first part, but God using my life. That's really funny. I, uh, obviously stayed at the vineyard and, uh, the main message that was coming out of that church was the message of the father heart of God. And so we heard it pretty much every Sunday, no matter what they spoke on. Somehow the message of the father heart of God was woven in. It didn't matter if it was like Leviticus somehow, you know, and I was just, and because I couldn't relate because of all of my father issues, which I still hadn't dealt with, I would get so frustrated. You know, I'd be like, oh, move on, anything, hellfire and brimstone, talk about anything other than the fatherhood of God, please, you know. And I remember this one Sunday morning, I'd been there a year and a half at this point, and I can't remember who was speaking, but again, they had done something like, done fatherhood out of Leviticus or something, and I was so frustrated, and I remember at the end just being like, God, I'm so frustrated, you know. I'm so sick of this message. Like, I know all the verses, I can say all the verses, I, you know, whatever, but I knew that I knew them here and I didn't know them here. And I remember thinking by the end of my tirade, Lord, they're all excited about something and clearly I don't understand what it is. So would you show me? And that night I had a dream. I won't go into the dream. We don't have time. But at the very end of the dream, I ultimately had this exact same dream seven times. Um, But at the very end of the dream, the first time, I'm sitting in the father's lap and he's laughing and I'm laughing. And when I woke up out of the dream, I could hear God audibly laughing in my room for about 10 seconds. And I remember thinking, you're real. It changed everything. The only verse that went through my head that morning was 1 John 4, 16. For those of you that don't have that on the top of your head, that's, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Here's the thing. For Jesus to be the way, there must be a destination. The plan was never that we would just get to know Jesus and stop there and not go and meet the Father. Jesus came to restore relationship with the Father. But because the image of a Father has been torn down so much in our society, most of us do not know how to relate to one. And so we can comfortably relate to a Savior We can, you know, and we know that he's good and and he's lovely and he likes wine. You know, there's, there's great things about Jesus. But many of us are still holding the father at a distance because it hasn't been a safe word for us. And so the father isn't a safe person for us. Does that make sense? So for me, the journey that God brought me on was a journey of unwinding all of the things I thought I knew about father God. And restoring the image of who he is to who he actually is. And for me, to be honest with you, that was about a 10-year process. It didn't happen overnight. And that's because I didn't get all those issues overnight either. I know that, like, we're a fast food generation and we want, like, drive up everything. But some things it doesn't work that well for. Not if we want it to stick. So he took me on this journey through scripture and... I want to just tell you a couple different little verses and then we're going to um, look at one of my favorite ones. But um, I shared with them on Friday, 1 John four sixteen. it says, For we have come to know and have believed 
the love which God has for us. Now, the word love there is the word agape. It's the unconditional love of God. But what stood out to me the most about that verse is it says, we have come to know. Where do you know? In your head, right? And then it says, and believe. Where do you believe? In your heart. The love which God has for us. And the Lord said to me, we are all in a process of moving all that information from our heads down to our hearts. And you know that it's in your heart when you live like it's true. That's when you know it arrived. How many of you would be able to recognize that you have a whole bunch more information in your head than you actually live out of in your heart? Right? That's what we're all, we're all doing. The Holy Spirit is moving the information. He's doing the download or the transfer or the... And is there a technical term I need to use here, baby? Or, that's good. Okay. So I was really encouraged by that because I was sort of like, hey, I've been at this Father Heart Church for, you know, a year and a half, two years at this point, And I still haven't even really got even the basic tenets yet of what it is I'm supposed to be believing about how he feels about me. But if it's a process and you're managing the process, and as long as I keep saying yes and dealing with stuff when you bring it up, it's going to be all good. Then I'm okay. Does that make sense? One of the first um, things that God started dealing with was my whole perception that, again, as I mentioned, you know, Jesus is the good guy. And Father God is this big cop in the sky that's just waiting to drop the hammer when I make a mistake. How many of you have ever thought that at some point? Yeah? Four of you. Um, <laughs> interesting. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, and I didn't really think that it was weird to think that. And then one day, um, the Lord brought me to Hebrews 1, verse 3, where it says, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Well, that just messed with my head. Because if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, then either Scripture is right, and Jesus is all these wonderful things, and so is the Father, or my experience is right, and the Father is all these horrible things, and so is Jesus. Well, I didn't think I was going to be the first person to, to disprove Scripture. So I had to start looking at if he's the exact representation of the father, then that means father God is lovely. It means that he wants to heal me. It means that he cares about the details of my life. It means that he too likes wine. Um, you know, all of the uh, important things going on there. And then the next verse, I remember it was the next day I was sitting on the, on the couch and um, I, I think I had some sort of bill that had come in or something, but I was kind of freaking out about money that day. And I remember praying, and my prayer sounded like this. Jesus, could you ask the Father if he could help me with this over here? You know, like, like in my head, I guess what's happening is Jesus is standing there going, God, I know that you want to smite her, but I'm working on her. So could you please give her enough money for some groceries? Do you know what I mean? And, and I'll just, I'll keep her away from you until she's perfect. But seriously, I mean, we have some weird perceptions that go on in our heads, don't we? And so it was that day I was like, you know, the Lord was saying to me, this is what you think. And then he showed me um, John 16, verse 26. And that verse says, what does that verse say? It says, I do not say that I will go to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. And I remember going... What? You know? 
then as we keep journeying through my issues, I come across verses like John 17, verse 23, where it says, the father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. As I said on Friday, don't you think he should love Jesus a little bit more? I mean, he's perfect. But the scripture says he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. I don't think really we can get our heads around how much we're loved. Hopefully our hearts learn faster. Because as long as our hearts get it, eventually our heads will catch up or we'll just leave our heads behind. Um, you may think it's only in the New Testament. But of course, there's, there's verses in the Old Testament like Jeremiah 31.3. He's loved us with an everlasting love. I really kind of thought that in the, because you read the Bible with your own lenses. Do you know that? So your own issues, not that I'm suggesting any of you have issues, your own perceptions cause you to have certain lenses. And so when you read the Bible, you, you see things through those lenses. And so I would read the old Testament and think, man, God's angry. And then there's like 400 years where you don't hear from him at all. And so I'm like, he's off with the Kilsters or the Sanfords or somebody getting some inner healing because all of a sudden he's happy in the new Testament. That didn't actually happen in case you want, they're not that old. The, never mind. Um, didn't happen. Didn't happen. But if you, if you, um, count up all the places in the old Testament where the word father is used in reference to God, you'll only see it 15 times. If you do the same exercise in the new Testament, you'll see it 245 times. And in that last conversation where Jesus is having his final conversation with the disciples before getting crucified, which is John 14 through the end of John 17, he talks about the father 50 times in three chapters. What does he want them to understand? The father loves you. It's going to be the pivotal thing that enables you to walk out into things that you're called to and to live a life that's full. Let's go to um, Luke 15. This is a story of the prodigal son, and I'm sure um, we've all read it before. Because I have the microphone, we're going to go through it again. I have a quick question for you. How many sons are there in the prodigal son story? Any other answers? Okay, there, this, yes, that's right. Jack Frost is back. Um, Jack Frost, I remember the first time he spoke on this, he said, there's three sons in the prodigal son story. And I was like, in whose version? You know, but his point was there, that's the younger son, there's the older son, and then there's the son that's telling the story. See, if you have a red letter Bible, that, that thing's highlighted in red because Jesus is speaking and Jesus is saying, this is what the father is like. For me, that made a huge difference. Jesus is never going to lie to you. Right? Right? Right. You're like sort of half convinced. We'll work on that later. That's your next task. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's start at verse 11. It says, and he said, that's Jesus. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Now that sounds really nice in scripture, but essentially what he's saying is dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. Okay. Slightly more offensive. Any fathers growing up just dreaming that their sons will say that to them. Anyone? 
So that's good. So you don't have to tackle that one then. Okay, that's good. Um, Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, again, that's another big slap in the face to leave the country of your father's birth. Okay, so he kind of slapped him on both sides and took off with his money. He said, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. Now, I have a quick question for you. For a young Jewish boy to be feeding pigs is a job. Good job, bad job? (laughs) Bad job. Okay, how many of you have ever seen what pigs eat? anyone? It kind of looks like mud with chunks, doesn't it? It's just, I'm just telling you, horrible. And so this kid is in such a bad place that not only is his job feeding pigs, but he's looking at what they eat and he's thinking it looks like, well, better than the huddle house. Okay. (laughs) Trash in the huddle house. Um, verse 17, it says, but when he came to his senses, I love that verse because all of us have done that at some point. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my, fi- of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I have a thought for you. Even as a slave, you can expect to have more than enough. As a son, you have an inheritance. It's more than more than enough. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now, what is he doing right now? Is he actually talking to his dad? No, he's practicing. How many of you have ever messed up so badly that you practiced your apology speech? How many of you used a mirror? I know you're out there. I totally did. I'd be like, mom, I'm really, no, it's gotta be mom. Perfect. And then you could, um, anyway, moving right along verse 20. So he got up, he took that first step and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him while he was still a long way off. That means that his father wasn't inside doing the taxes or playing Nintendo, but he was outside on the porch, waiting, longing, hoping for the moment when the son would return. And while he was still a long way off, the father feels compassion for him. And Jesus is painting a very specific picture. He says he runs, he embraces him and he kisses him. Listen, in those days, dignified men did not run possibly because they were wearing dresses, but they didn't run. Okay. He runs to his son. And I want you to imagine the picture. If you can close your eyes for a moment, if you won't fall asleep, close your eyes for a moment. I want you to picture this here. We have the son. He's returning. He's walking from one middle Eastern country to another in the heat, probably didn't have any Evian and certainly didn't have any deodorant. And he's been hanging out with pigs. Can you smell the scenario that is going on there? In your mind's eye, of course. Hopefully you can't smell it. Because <laughs> that means there's an entirely different issue in this building. But anyway, um, so here he is and he's walking. And then you have the father. He sees him from a long way off. And he's barreling up towards him. So you can see the sand and the dust flying behind the father as he barrels towards his son. 
Okay. Now I want you to freeze them about a foot from each other. Do you think at that point the father could smell him? I'm, that's exactly right. He probably could. I'm, I'm almost certain he could. Do you think he cared? That's right. He absolutely didn't because he doesn't even hesitate. You can unfreeze them and let them cuddle. The actual, the scripture verse says he fell on his neck. That's the literal translation. He didn't care what he smelt like, how covered in dirt he was, um, how badly ripped his clothing was, nothing like that. He just runs and he embraces him and he kisses him. Now you'll notice the very next thing that he does is the father pulls a contract out from beneath his robe for the son to sign that says, you know, that he'll never make any more mistakes again and a repayment plan for the money that he's taken. And, you know, just sort of highlights the plan for return. First, you're going to live with the horses. And if you can behave yourself and show your mother and I that things have really changed, maybe we'll move you into the servant's house. And then eventually, not a chance. Well, hang on a second. How come when you mess up, you think there's some kind of mighty repayment plan that you have to go through for God to actually receive you back? Well, God, if I work hard enough, I can make up for you the fact that I've made mistakes. It doesn't work that way, and it never has. I love what he does next. It says, uh, verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I mean, it's a shame to like miss giving a good speech. So I guess he had to launch into it at that point. I, I can understand that, but he doesn't actually get to finish it. Does he? It says the father said to his slaves, I can, I, I can picture in my mind's eye, the father kind of smiling at him and kind of shaking his head like, Oh honey, you just don't get it. You know? And he turns to his slaves and he says quickly, that means fast, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. The father doesn't say anything about his speech with words. He says everything with his actions. He says quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Who do you think the best robe probably belonged to? Probably the father. Now they didn't have Febreze in those days. Okay. I'm pretty sure anything that he put on the sun at that point was not going to be used again for anything good. Okay. And he says, put that robe on him and he covers his shame. So when the sun returns home, no one else has seen the condition that he's returned home in. He's covered. Then he says, put a ring on his uh, finger and his sandals on his feet. Now let's talk about that for a second. We all, how many of you like jewelry? Anyone? Anyone? Good. Me too. I'm with you on that. This, this deal is a little bit different. He says, put a ring on his hand. He's talking about the family ring. Put a ring on his hand that says he's my son. But with that ring, that kid could go into the neighboring town and say, I want one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those. And this is who my father is. And it all gets charged back to dad. Here's a kid who has messed up spectacularly with finances. Can we agree? And the father doesn't say, I'd like you to do the Dave Ramsey course. And then we'll start you on a brief allowance where you'll learn to invest and say, now we love Dave Ramsey. It's helped us enormously do Dave Ramsey. If you have a chance, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying 
when you mess up, don't you think you have to bail yourself out because you got yourself in that hole in the first place? It's not okay to ask God because he didn't create this scenario for me. And so now I need to figure out, I'm sure I'm not the only one that does that process. Well, uh, according to this, God's kind of happy to help you with that. Just saying. The last thing he does is he puts sandals on his feet. Very specific message. You're my son. Slaves went barefoot. Sons wore sandals. You're my son. Here's my robe. You're my son. Here's my ring. You're my son. Here's some shoes. He doesn't care what he's done. It's not about his performance. It's about the love of a father. It always has been. And here's the thing. If either the younger son or the older son really understood who the father was, the younger son wouldn't have left and the older son wouldn't be living like a slave instead of a son. Because the older son didn't get it either. He just knew how to perform and look shiny. He still didn't know he was loved. How many of you have kids? Wow, that's great. You are a growing church. <laughs> it's, it's funny because we have such um, strange views of God in terms of if we were to actually put those views of God onto, you know, scripture says he's the best father ever. Okay. So if you were to put those views, even onto a really great dad that, you know, that, that, that really great dad would behave that way. You go, that is insane. But again, because we've been through so much stuff and we've collected all these perceptions, we think it's reasonable to believe that God is the way we think he is when he isn't like that at all. Alan and I have two girls and, uh, and we have another baby on the way. And, uh, woohoo! And I haven't vomited at all this morning. Um, I mean, that seemed like a big deal to you, but it's a big thing for me. Um, and, uh, and we're the same as you. Uh, we had children so that somebody would be there to help us mow the lawn in about 10 years. That's why we had them, you know, and do the dishes and help dust the house. That's why we had them. Same as you. Yeah, good luck with that. And, you know, they're no work at all until they get to that phase. They're, you don't have to, like, feed them, take care of them at all. I mean, there's just no effort whatsoever. You never have to sort out any of their issues for them. They're just, they just exist until they're old enough to push that lawnmower. That's ridiculous. But wait, how many of us think that the only reason that God brought us into the kingdom is for what we can do for him? You have children because you want to love this little thing and you want to love it to life. Not because you expect it to be perfect. Not because it's not going to be any work. Our, um, <clears throat> our kids were slow walkers. Uh, they, they, uh, Abby didn't even try and crawl until after she turned one. She was quite content to be held. And, uh, so with Tia, we were like, you know, we probably need to speed this thing up. People are watching. So, uh, we would, um, we would stand her up and then just give her a little shove and try and make sure she knew what we were trying to get her to do. Perhaps with this one, we'll use a taser. I haven't decided, but, um, <laughs> it's a peanut allergy. Um, 
Of course not. But, but wait, how many of us think God is frustrated and impatient for us to move at the same speed as the person next to us? Like God's comparing all of us. I don't know. They walked a day before you didn't. You're just not, I mean, you're just not measuring up. But we do think stuff like that, don't we? Well, look, they're 27 and they've accomplished this and I'm 27 and I haven't. Who cares? Love God. Let him love you. Let him worry about the path, you know, and that he has you on because it's different than the 27 year old next to you. Or 48 or 62. Tia, Tia's still in diapers. Um, and uh, so we, we're just, we're trying to, we're trying to help her with that. And so uh, we, we change her bum in the morning because that's the nice thing to do. And we clarify with her that now we have done our jobs. We've taken care of her issues. And uh, should she choose to mess her diaper again, that will be on her to take care of because I've already dealt with this particular issue. And so, you know, if she does happen to poop, then we just sort of say, just, you should sit there and learn from it. Of course not. You call child services, I hope. But wait, how many times do we think, well, God's already helped me with this issue and he's already, you know, been dealing with this thing. And now I've gone and done it again. And probably he's really frustrated with me and he's not going to help me this time. Again, if you put those things into the arena of a great parent, you would go, that is insane. In fact, we did just the opposite with, with Tia. You know, when, when she poops, we're like, what an amazing pooper you are. I don't think anyone poops as well as you do. And she just, I have a skill. (laughs) Behold, I doth smelleth. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to have a little fun this morning. Just getting reconnected with a God that loves you. With a father that loves you no matter what you think your issues are or no matter what you think he shouldn't love about you. The thing is, God couldn't love you any more than he does at this very moment. And he couldn't love you any less. He doesn't know how to do it halfway. Jack Winter used to say, if, if God had a fridge, your picture would be on it. Or if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. He isn't comparing you to the person next to you. He isn't impatient for you to get it perfect. He knows every single thing you've ever been through. And he wants to love you back to life. And can I promise you this? No matter what you have been through, no matter how horrific it has been, there is not one single thing God cannot heal. Listen, if he will do it for me, he will do it for you. He's no respecter of persons. And I get it that for some of us, a father, um, the word father and father um, types has been a very scary thing for us. But I promise you, if you can just ask him to come and love you back to life and show you what he's really like, you will have a wonderful journey. And it will change everything. Let's do this for a second. I'm going to ask you all to just close your eyes.
I just want to pray over you. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. And Lord, I thank you that you want to come and you want to be real to them in such a magnificent way and probably more than they can even possibly imagine. Father, I ask that you would draw so close, closer than they ever thought you wanted to. And God, that you would wrap your arms around them and begin the process of loving them back to life. Father, I ask that the journey that you take them on would be just as wonderful as the one that you've had me on that you would transfer all of that good information from their heads to their hearts and you'd remove all of the bad information that is not accurate as to who you are. God, I ask that you would help them to find their safe place in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I get the um, dads that I talked to earlier to come up and stand across the front? We're going to finish the service with this. Um, we don't do this that often, but this morning I had a picture of this, and so we're going we're gonna to go with that. But here's the thing. There's many of us in this room that have probably never received a father's hug or, or a father's blessing over your life. Again, because there, we, I mean, we just have so many broken fathers now. And so what I've asked these guys to do is to stand in in place of dads and to speak a father's blessing over you and to just hug you, give you a hug. So, Especially for those of you that never heard your dad say, I love you, or never had a hug from your dad. I want to encourage you. It, it may seem weird to come and hug some random guy that isn't actually your dad. I promise you something breaks. Because there's not only standing in on the place of your father, they're standing in on behalf of Father God and speaking words of life over you. Now, you're going to notice some of them may be younger than you are. And you go, well, that's a little odd. But maybe they're exactly the right age for when you actually as a little person needed to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you. So what we want to do is actually transition into a ministry time. And as we do that, I want to just ask you, you know, if you, some of you are already sort of going, oh, I know I'm supposed to do this. Just ask the Lord, who am I supposed to go to? I promise you they're safe and they're just going to give you a hug and they're going to speak over you and they're going to, you know, if the Holy Spirit tells them to, to speak certain stuff, they're going to speak that over you and they're just going to sort of go and we're going to see what God does. And I know it's going to be awesome. I want to encourage you. Don't run away, especially if your heart's going and you're like, no, it's not me. She's not talking to me. It's totally not talking to me. I'm talking to you. Okay. Totally talking to you. Are you good? Can you put on some kind of nice, soft, non-dancing music? <clears throat> and uh, you guys you guys can probably spread out a little bit more just 
And um, we probably need Kleenex. I am a prophet. Just kidding. I prophesy the need for Kleenex. Um, so as we as we transition um, into this, this is going to be um, our ministry time for this morning. Um, I just encourage you, even if it takes a little while to, to get your hug, please don't leave if you know you've never had that. Okay? Now listen, if you have had that and, you're, and your heart's still going like this, still don't leave. Do it. Okay? Because God has something for you this morning, and I promise you it's going to be freedom. So, Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people, and I thank you for this wonderful group of dads. And, God, I ask that there would be a moment of transformation this morning for every single person. In Jesus' name, amen. Go fight, win. Chase me down like a lion, like a bird of prey. Lift me up from the ashes of my heart's own shallow grave. I know that I love you, but sometimes I. Yeah. 